Fictional is now brought to you commercial-free thanks to support from listeners just like you. Why do you take so long to get ready? Really, who do you have to impress? Grumbled the Countess. Lizavetta had long ago learned that it was better to not answer her questions. The Countess was looking for a fight and nothing more. Come and read to me, I'm bored, the Countess demanded, but Lizavetta heard none of it. She was busy readying the older woman for the ball, so they could both sit and watch the young people live while they stirred with longing. The Countess for what she once was, Lizavetta for what she would never be. At the ring of the bell, Lizavetta's skin crawled. Once, twice, ugh, then an incessant, unending dinging that no matter how long Lizavetta lived, she would always hear in her dreams. The Countess shot her a hard look. Dear, we have so much time and you have so little to do. All this primping makes no difference at all. She patted the cushion on the chair next to her. Read to her, please. They had time. Lizavetta sighed and took a seat next to her employer. The book fell effortlessly open to the chapter from earlier, and she resumed reading aloud. It was slow going, what with having to feel the many criticisms of every author the Countess blurted out every few sentences, it was always the same. At least the old woman was too weak to hit her anymore. These days, it felt more like being slapped with a wet noodle. Two pages later, the Countess gasped awake, scowled at Lizavetta, and glanced at the clock. What was the girl doing? Why wasn't she ready? They needed to leave. Now. Lizavetta tried to explain that was what she was trying to tell the countess all along. But the woman shook her head. Be in the carriage in five minutes, or you'll miss both the ball and your monthly salary. Lizavetta threw down the book and readied herself faster than she had ever before. She raced down the stairs, past the drawing room, and out the... Wait. Was that the countess? Sure enough, the older woman stood by the window, opening the drapes. What was it this time? We'll stay in tonight, she said. It's too cold and windy. The countess eyed Lizavetta's dress. Go and change, then come back and read to me. Quickly now. Lizavetta's shoulders slumped as she ascended to her room. She'd been so sure they would make it to the ball this time. There'd been no doubt. On her knees by the large chest at the end of her bed, Lizavetta rummaged until her fingertips felt the smooth outline of an envelope. The letters. She could recite the words from memory, but read them all the same. Her love. Her hope. Her man. As in Herman. Downstairs, the sharp bell rang out alongside the raspy voice of the countess. Where was the girl? With a heavy sigh, Lizavetta folded the letters and tucked them gently away. Someday. And hopefully soon. It all started three weeks ago. She was by the window, doing her needlework while the Countess napped. He was standing across the street. A young engineer, his hat low and fur collar high up to his ears. Their eyes locked, and Lizavetta had quickly returned to her needle and thread. She didn't know how many minutes passed until she looked up again 
and found him watching her intently. His breath rose from a smirk, and once he was sure she was looking, he nodded in her direction and tipped his hat. Back to her needlework, she flew without a response, but out of the corner of her eye, she watched him walk away. At the same time the following day, she was there by the window and he was there across the street. She looked at him a little longer this time, allowing herself more and more glances until eventually a smile. He blushed at the sight of her cheeks blooming and from that day forward, she made sure to be at the window every day. They would steal glances at one another, never speaking, and Lizaveta's heart would race. Then the letter arrived. Lizaveta had been assisting the countess into the carriage. Once the woman was in, her dress smoothed out and the door closed, Lizaveta walked around to the rear of the carriage and nearly bumped into him. Him, the guy from across the street. He was beautiful, his crisp blue eyes seeming to look into her very soul. Up close, he was taller than she thought, too, with broad shoulders and sandy brown hair that made her just want to melt into his arms. When he reached for her hand, she nearly fainted. Lizaveta, where are you? The countess barked from the carriage. Without a word, the young man nodded and pulled away. In the girl's hand was a letter. Lizaveta looked up just in time to see the boy step onto the curb across the street. She tucked the prize letter into an inside pocket of her coat, then scrambled into the carriage before her pay could be docked. Again. The countess chided her harshly the entire ride for leaving her. Her, of all people, waiting in a cold carriage? It was unacceptable, she said. But Lizaveta was already in another world. That night, in the safety of her upper room, Lizaveta opened the letter and read the beautiful words scripted on the page over and over again. She was in love. From Jason and Carissa Weiser, creators of myths and legends, this is fictional. Tonight was the night. The night that would change everything. It had been three weeks since the last ball, and tonight they were going. Mostly because they had to go, and that made Lizaveta all the more sure. There was a ball at the embassy, and even the countess, as powerful and inconsequential as she was, could not cancel last minute. Lizaveta had been tasked with finding a dress that was at the height of fashion and having it tailored just in time. These were all good signs, and once Lizaveta was confident they would attend, she sent the letter. It wasn't the first, of course. In fact, she and Herman, the young engineer, had written to each other every day. She'd been wary at first, but it was thrilling. And this was big, because tonight, oh, tonight was the night. At 10 o'clock p.m., they would sneak away and stay at the embassy until 2 o'clock in the morning. The servants always took four hours on a Saturday night to go out themselves, and it made the perfect window. A porter would be standing by the street door And though he could hold his liquor, he would need to take a bathroom break. And from there, it was only a matter of slipping past the servant's kitchen, up two flights of stairs, and dipping inside the countess's room. It was risky, 
but the Countess's room connected to Lizaveta's converted closet of an anteroom. The Countess never went in there, said it made her sad or something. So all Herman had to do was slip inside and wait behind the screen. The plan was perfect. Or so Lizaveta thought. After the ball, she had helped the Countess into her night clothes, tucked the woman into bed, and slipped away. Except before she managed to leave the room, the Countess called to her. Read to me, she said, reaching a wrinkled arm from the covers. It would help her fall asleep. Ugh, Lizaveta yawned. Oh, but she was sleepy. Very, what with the ball that evening. Couldn't they just dream about it tonight and then read tomorrow? Tired from what? Sitting next to an old woman for four hours? You didn't even dance. This is your job. Now get a book. Silently, Lizaveta obeyed. They had been writing for weeks. What was another half hour or so? But as she turned from the bookshelf to the bed, she noticed the shadow. There was Herman, standing there, right out in the open, in her employer's room. She gasped faintly, motioning for him to hide. But he strode from the darkness and pushed right past her. A soft cackle came from the direction of the countess. Bravo, Lizaveta. Look at him. Tall, dark, handsome. Frankly, I didn't know you had it in you. You're fired, of course. She reached for the lesser-worn bell on the nightstand, but Herman snatched it away. One yell, young man, and the maid gets the porter, gets the constable. Lizaveta came up beside him. Why did you reveal yourself? She asked in disbelief. I want the cards, Herman said to the countess. The woman's smile flickered, but then she laughed. Oh, that old joke. It's not a joke. You helped Chaplinsky win. I want the cards. Chaplinsky! <laughs> Chaplinsky didn't listen and died penniless, the countess soured. This kid didn't know what he asked. But he did know. He knew the countess had the three cards to win Faro every time. Lizaveta buried her face in her hands at the sound of Herman's harsh voice. How did he know the Countess? And Faro? Was all of this just so Herman could win some card game? Suddenly, it seemed her love had merely been a foot in the door for him to get closer to the Countess. Who are you saving them for anyway? Your children? Your grandchildren? They're all rich because of the debts you paid with that card game. Herman shoved his hands into his coat. The Countess went stone-faced. The boy had nothing. It was only a matter of time until another maid heard the extra footsteps, or Lizaveta started sobbing. Then it would all come to an end. But she underestimated the boy. If you won't talk, I'll make you talk, he said, pulling a revolver from his jacket and pointing the barrel at the Countess's head. Her face contorted, and she held up both her hands to block the shot. And then, her arms fell limp across her face. Her head lolled to the side. Herman rolled his eyes. Are you kidding me? He lowered the gun and turned to Lizaveta. Not a sound. Then he poked the Countess with the barrel. Come on, wake up. 
But even after a sharper nudge, a rough shake of the shoulders, nothing. Herman felt her wrist, her neck, searching for a pulse. Hmm. So there it was, he said at last. The countess was dead. Why he went to the funeral was beyond him. Well, he did know. He wanted something. Closure, maybe? He wasn't religious, didn't believe in hell, but still felt unsettled by the death of the countess. Herman had told himself numerous times that he hadn't killed her. Not really. It wasn't his fault she couldn't handle the sight of a gun. Yes, pointed at her face, sure. But that was all it was. Pointed. It hadn't even been loaded. Fortunately, that foolish Lizavetta girl had been smart enough not to scream. She was in it with him now. If he was found out, he'd swear Lizavetta had let him in so they could rob the old woman together. And that simple threat had been all it took for Lizavetta to point a shaking finger to the woman's secret staircase. Sure enough, in the papered wall, he'd found a seam. With a tip of his hat, Herman had kissed Lizavetta on her cold, clammy forehead and padded down the spiral staircase that put him one door away from the street. He didn't lower his collar until he was three blocks away, but it didn't matter. He saw nobody, and nobody saw him. Now, three days later, the city gathered at the Countess's funeral. It was a sea of dry eyes. Truth be told, her death hadn't been unexpected. She was something of a socialite in her time, and rumor had it she'd scandalized Paris some 60 years ago. But everyone who had been alive at the time was now gone. So those memories died with her. Along with the cards. It all happened last month, at a card game with the Countess's grandsons. They were throwing their money around, as they always did. And as they sipped on wine, family secrets started coming out, one after the other. As was usually the case, the topic of grandma came up. Her debts had grown deep, and their grandfather, her new husband, refused to pay it, preferring instead to leave Paris and the debtors in the middle of the night and never return. But he'd left alone. And so in the morning, the young countess had reached out to the Count of St. Germain. Who was he? The Count of St. Germain was a real historical figure and a bizarrely interesting person. He surfaced in the historical record around 1740 as an adventurer and a philosopher who spoke five languages, contributed to operas, and yet nobody knew where he came from. Anyway, St. Germain was also said to dabble in mysticism and told the young countess he was happy to help her out. Though, not with money. He'd learned a thing or two in his travels, like how to hit on three lucky cards in a row in the game of Faro. And so that night, the young countess went to the palace of Versailles and won back everything she had ever lost. It was life-changing, so much so that it remained a secret for most of her life. She had told just one man about it when she reached her middle years, some poor youth who owned the wrong people a lot of money. Out of the kindness of her heart, she'd passed on her secret. Except that guy didn't use it just once like he was supposed to. 
Instead, he used the trick every chance he got. Somehow, he still died penniless, but not before passing on the story to the Countess's grandsons, who told Herman at a card game. That's how Herman came to know about the trick. Herman's plan had started out as a bit of fun, leading the poor girl on. How was he supposed to know the 87-year-old Countess would die on him like that? Still, at her funeral, no one cried. Because who wept for a statue? The late woman was a person everyone knew of, but no one truly knew. Not even Lizaveta. There she was, on the other side of the room. She refused to meet Herman's eyes. And it was this, her decidedly not having anything to do with him, that piqued the boy's genuine interest for the first time. <coughs> the preacher's hollow voice caught his attention. Down from the pulpit came the announcement that the countess had been waiting to go home and that the angel had found her in peaceful, pious meditation, awaiting the midnight bridegroom after years of Christian living. Herman hit a smirk. The visitation line moved slowly along, and when Lizaveta stopped before the casket, she kissed the rigid hand of her former employer and promptly fainted. From the back of the line, Herman rolled his eyes. He felt nothing, not even guilt, despite him, okay, being partially responsible for her being in a casket, he admitted. The more he thought about it, he wasn't sure why he was bothering with the line at all, really. Maybe it was because, on some level, he felt like he should. When it was finally his turn at the casket, he looked down and patted the woman's hand. And her eyes snapped open. Herman staggered backwards with a yelp. He would have fallen, too, if several people in line next to him hadn't rushed to his aid. He'd gone chalk white, but insisted on taking another look at the Countess. Ugh. To his relief, her eyes remained closed in a state of repose. Okay, all was as it should be. Without a word, Herman swiped his hair back, found his hat and coat, and left through the crowd. At about 8 o'clock p.m., Herman staggered home. He'd spent the last eight hours day drinking at an out-of-the-way bar just to clear his head. But it hadn't worked. That gnawing feeling of dread remained, no matter how much drink he poured on top of it. Sometime later, he managed to fall asleep. At least, he thought he slept, because he woke up fully clothed at three in the morning with a start. Moonlight trickled in through the window he'd forgotten to close. And even though it wasn't enough to see, he could definitely feel the presence of something in the corner, in the shadows. He wasn't alone. Turning slowly, he already knew who was there before her face came into view. Her dead eyes stood out like pockets of black, and her haggard skin had a soft glow about it. I have come to you against my wish, she said. All business, even in death, wasn't that just her way? I have been ordered to grant your request. Maybe it was the residual buzz, but this didn't fit the normal vengeful ghost thing. Herman waited for more. Three, seven, ace. Those are the cards. If played in order, 
They win the game, but only on these conditions. Play only once for the rest of your life and marry Lizaveta. And that was it. Just like that, the shroud of the countess vanished through the wall. For a while, Herman blinked, but did not move. Had this all been a dream? Over his left shoulder, sunlight broke over the horizon and spilled into the room. Birds chirped and aggravated his pounding temples. His feet ached from the day before. And yet, all he could think about were the words three, seven, ace. Those cards were seared into his mind. Later that day, Herman linked up with the late Countess's grandsons. It was on account of them that Herman had learned the Countess harbored a winning secret in the first place, and they would be his ticket once more. The brothers were rich, like a whole separate class rich. They rubbed elbows with people who lived in mansions, who put on grand parties he had only dreamed about as a middle-class engineer. It took a bit of convincing, but at last, Herman secured an invitation from the brothers to one of Chekolinsky's parties. It was the perfect place for the brothers to shake off the malaise of a week of funeral preparations, and Herman's presence wouldn't disrupt that. Sure, he could attend, uh, but he would need a suit. So, dressed in a suit that was way too expensive for a man of his station, Herman followed the music and laughter to the open doors of the party. With his hair slicked back, he looked every bit the part he intended to play that night. But to blend in, one must also act the part. He struck up conversations with generals, <laughs> laughed and patted the backs of the Tsar's counselors. Before the night was through, they would all know his name. Passing young men reclining on velvet sofas with their pipes, Herman eventually made his way to the master of the house, the butler, who was keeping the bank. Herman watched eagerly as the current game finished, then took a seat himself. One of the brothers sidled up next to him and whispered in his ear, Uh, was Herman sure about this? Did, did he know what type of men he was gambling against? These were millionaires, government ministers, foreign dignitaries. Herman was an engineer. Stake, the banker said. Herman scribbled a sum on a slip of paper and passed it to the man. The banker's waxed mustache bristled, and he quickly passed it back to Herman, saying politely that there must be some type of mistake. His eyes were not seeing clearly. How much exactly was he staking? 47,000 rubles, Herman smiled. All chatter, laughter, and chumming in the room came to a halt. Oh, turns out my eyes are just fine, the banker said. The other brother came up behind Herman. What are you doing? He hissed. But it was too late. The banker nodded to a man in a tuxedo near the back of the room. It was Chekolinsky himself. He had a seemingly eternal smile, the story says. Being a millionaire did that, apparently. And he waltzed over and rested a hand on Herman's new suit. He picked up the note, inspecting it. 47,000 rubles. That's quite the sum, young man. Chekolinsky said, running some mental calculations. Well, despite the rise and subsequent fall of the Soviet Union muddling a direct conversion, 
Chekalinsky noted that in 2021 US dollars, that would be well into the millions. You are playing very high, he said. The most lost at one of my tables was 275 rubles. If you don't have the money, maybe I can find a different party. Herman swiveled in his chair and made to stand, but Chekalinsky held him in place. No, 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 no. No one said anything about him not having the money. Of course he had cash on hand, but he would only honor a bet of ready money. Otherwise, anyone could come in, place a ridiculous bet, and win without staking anything real. Does this suffice? Herman said, smirking as he passed the man a banknote. Chekalinsky snatched it up, took it to the light. He called over the owner of the bank, who shrugged. Yeah, it was legit. Fine then. He passed the note back to Herman. He was sweating now. Go ahead, place your bet. Without hesitation, Herman placed 47,000 rubles, the result of a dozen loans from several banks and more than a few seedy individuals who took interest in debt collection very seriously. All on the three card. The banker dealt the first card. The losing card. Nine. By now, the whole party had gathered around the faro table. The banker drew the next card and placed it face up. Three. The winning card was three. The room erupted into huzzas and cheers. Everyone went crazy. This kid, some random engineer, had won. It was incredible. He'd listened to the ghost, or whatever the countess was, and it had all worked. On a high, he settled up with Chekalinsky and walked away with 94,000 rubles after playing just a single hand. Now, this might have been enough to retire on, even after paying off the steep debts he'd accrued. But the countess hadn't told him the secret to just one hand. He had three, and he intended to use them all. The next night, Herman was an expected guest. No longer did he need the countess's grandsons to make introductions for him. He found a seat saved for him at the faro table. Chekalinsky wanted his money back. And though he had a pang of panic when Herman set all 94,000 rubles down on seven, he knew the guy couldn't be lucky twice, right? He was wrong. And this time, oh, it hurt. As in, Chekalinsky's head was spinning so badly he couldn't believe it. Another 94,000 rubles lost. How was this even possible? With 141,000 rubles remaining, Herman could definitely retire now. He could buy multiple mansions, gold flatware, maybe even a giraffe, he didn't know. It was generational wealth at this point. The trajectory of his future children would forever be altered based on just two games of faro. And still he had one more secret tucked away. It seemed his own prospects had recently changed as well. Visitors came to his meager apartment from far and wide. Millionaires offering him companies to lead. Heads of state who said he obviously understood something they did not. Would he help them in their battles against Napoleon? It was that night as he sat at the faro table, that one of the brothers laughed. He bet Herman was rethinking his choice of women now, huh? 
probably had lots of women fawning all over him. At the sight of the banknote for 181,000 rubles in Herman's hand, Chekolinsky's smile faded for the first time in recent memory. He pushed his butler aside. He would shuffle the deck himself, and it gave the players time to chat. (laughs) Herman laughed. Choice of women? Yeah, he had no plans of getting married just yet. But the brother was right. After tonight, he'd have enough money to court a princess. I heard you were sweet on my grandma's girl, the grandson noted before taking a long drag of his cigar. Herman shot him a questioning look. Oh, so is another engineer named Herman then? They'd found a letter from him in her room after she moved out. Whoever it was, the grandson winked, he quoted a bunch of text from some old German novels. All the servants thought it was beautiful, but my brother and I picked up on it immediately. Hey, Herman, you speak German, don't you? Herman's face turned beet red. The grandson elbowed him playfully. Yeah, his secret was safe with him. I'm sure you and uh, Liza, was it? Elizabetha? Whatever her name was. I'm sure you'll be happy together. Steak, Chekolinsky barked, and Herman laid down his 181,000 rubles, turning to the grandson at the same time. Okay, you got me, he conceded. Yes, they'd had a little fun together, but there was no way he was marrying a servant girl. Not now. Queen. Ace. Herman bumped his fists. Yes! But the room was quiet. Herman rocked back in laughter. Oh, my goodness. Over 360,000 rubles? <laughs> All right. Why, yes, he would like to cash out now. He turned to Chekolinsky, who was now smiling again, and pointing a thick finger at him. Why are you smiling? He asked. Herman scowled. <laughs> because he won? Duh. Queen was the losing card. Ace won, Chekolinsky noted, tapping the felted table. Right, and I put my money on... Herman trailed off. He'd put his money on... On Queen. I... No, I, I put it on the Ace. I, I put my money on Ace. Tough luck, kid, Chekolinsky said. Should have quit while you were ahead. Herman started pulling out his hair, ripping it out in clumps. No, no, it was three, seven, ace. He stopped as Chekolinsky picked up the young man's bet from the queen card. Only, it wasn't the queen card. He gasped. The face. It was the old, the old countess. Did anybody else see that? Look, look at the card, the face. It wasn't the, it had been the ace. The countess did this. You have to believe me. The card, with the countess's face on it, was laughing at him. Anger seized Herman. This wasn't fair. He'd put his money on ace. Foolishly, he lunged for Chekolinsky in his banknote. But rough hands caught him by the shoulder by the arm, by the hand, by the neck, dragging him off the table. Get him out of here, Chekolinsky said to the men. They dragged Herman through the crowd, twisting his arms behind and around his back so hard he was sure they would pop from their sockets. 
He strained, turning around to see the table through the sea of faces. Faces that all looked like the Countess. Staring, laughing, closing in. Three, seven, ace. Three, seven, ace. Three, seven. Down the stairs and out of the mansion, they carried him as the music and the party noise resumed inside. Three, seven, ace. It was all he could say. Lizavetta smiled and closed her eyes at the familiar kiss on her forehead. Her husband sat and handed her a steaming cup of tea. Big day for your old house, isn't it? He said, pointing to the paper. Lizavetta glanced down. One of the old countess's grandsons was marrying a princess. We used to play together, you know, the young man said before taking a proud sip. Lizavetta smiled knowingly. She was there too, remember? His stories would need to impress someone else, she laughed. After years of pining after her, the son of the countess's steward had finally told Lizavetta how he felt. And well, the rest was history. You're the only one I care to impress, he said. Lizavetta leaned against his arm. What a slow news day, though if a grandson of a countess marrying some German princess was on the front page. The husband set down his cup. Whoops. <laughs> no, that wasn't the front page. Uh, this. Here, this is the front page. He tapped the paper and settled back into his chair. That was him, wasn't it? The one she told him about? The, the guy with the gun? Sure enough, the headlining article detailed the rise and fall of an engineer named Herman who showed up at one of Chekolinsky's parties with a few grand in his pockets that he turned into almost a half million at the faro table. He'd lost it all after making one wrong bet and had to be physically removed from the party. His creditors came after him, but he wasn't home. Hmm. Lizavetta sipped her tea. Turns out, a week later, he'd been picked up wandering the streets, identified only by his threadbare tuxedo and the words he repeated without end. It read, they were the same words he'd shouted the day he'd lost it all to Chekolinsky. Three, seven, ace. Three, seven, queen. Lizavetta smiled and closed the paper. <laughs> yep, that was him. That's all for this week. Today's story was inspired by The Queen of Spades by Alexander Pushkin. Fictional is a narrative podcast created by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.